We are back on the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy, IMS Thayer. Ben, a rough weekend for Wake Forest football. Drops a game to Florida State. You know, not a very close game. Final score, 41-16. Honestly, could have could have been worse for Wake Forest. Yeah, I mean, realistically, this is about what you and I expected going into this game. Florida State did have a little bit more success offensively than I was predicting. Um, I think what you had 31-13, I had 31-10, something in that range. So um, both kind of predicted that Wake wasn't going to have enough firepower to make a real impact on this game offensively. And both of us predicted that Florida State would have too much firepower to really stay down for too long. And essentially, you know, that's what happened. Um, Wake Forest was not effective in containing Jordan Travis, who threw for over 300 yards, well over 300 yards, 359 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. Um, we'll get into this a little bit. The explosive plays were just kryptonite for the defense. I mean, one step that really stands out to me, just looking back at the numbers from this game, is that there were six Florida State receivers that had catches of over 29 yards. So 29 yards or more, the longest being an 80-yard touchdown catch by Trey Benson, of course. And then there were eight total that had catches of over 20. I mean, that's just not that's just not getting it done. Um, chunk play after chunk play. Florida State was putting points on the board quickly all day and just not, I mean, not totally unexpected, but certainly not not one where I thought Wake Forest um, exceeded expectations. Yeah, I agree. I mean, on the point of explosives, is you know, Florida State with eight throws of over 20 yards, something that Dave Clawson harps on all the time wasn't good and and as you said the game was about what we expected from a defensive perspective I mean we both kind of said in the podcast before the Florida State game that we thought it would be closer at the start and then eventually that dam would break for Wake Forest you know I thought it was going to be around the halftime the third quarter in reality it ended up being in the second quarter so it what we thought happened would happen essentially happened just a little bit earlier. I mean, the defense had two really good possessions after that opening FSU touchdown. That first drive also for the Wake Forest defense should have been, a, you know, one where they got off the field. That should have absolutely been an interception, I believe, by Kalen Carson, dropped right through his hands. It's Kalen Carson. Could have been a different – not – could it, it probably would not have been a different ball game if he had made that interception, but the it definitely would have added a different complexion to the beginning of the game. But overall, the defense held strong for a while while it could. And then Florida State, the number four team in the country with Jordan Travis at quarterback, the wide receivers they have, Trey Benson at running back, is going to do what FSU is going to do. And so the, you know, the offense put on a show, uh, especially in the first half, especially in the second quarter. So the defense was was okay. Now the offense, not so okay. They had that good third quarter drive, but but otherwise been not much else especially with Mitch Griffiths a quarterback could have been a game where he put something together but again it's Florida State but six of 16 for 82 yards is isn't really going to get the job done no and it, it's for Wake Forest fans this team is remarkably frustrating to watch on offense because you do see a lot of the times the defense doing a lot of good things and in a lot of their losses playing well enough to keep the team in it but you know for Wake Forest, for the Wake Forest receivers, you know, you have a guy like Jamal Banks on the outside and you just really struggle to get him the ball. He's big, he's tall, 
great at the at the point of contest, great pulling down, you know, jump balls, but they just struggled to get their playmakers the ball in space. And, you know, Justice Sellison had a strong game, 10 for 77. A lot of that came on, you know, a big run early on that resulted in a touchdown for Wake Forest on that drive. But, um, you know, just not enough consistency on offense. And my biggest thing with Mitch Griffiths is that he just looks so frantic in the pocket when I when I watch him. He just looks like he's not set. He's not confident in his reads. He's not confident in his throws. And we'll get to this in a little bit. The offensive line really struggled, which I think has been a problem all year. But even so, there's just there's no rhythm. There's no I, I don't see any trust between he and the wide receivers. You know, only three receivers had catches. Um that that and you know, two of them only had one catch. And for a 60 minute football game, that, that's just not gonna that's just not gonna that's not gonna let, allow you to win. It's not even gonna allow you to compete against any, you know, any half decent team really. Um, you got a guy like Wesley Grimes who was supposed to have a big role this year and has kind of just been really a non-factor in some of the more recent games. Um, the protection is not holding up. The, the rushing, you know, the rushing attack was, was pretty solid for wake, you know, 128 yards total two touchdowns um, some things to do, to be encouraged by there, but across the board, just not enough firepower, not enough explosiveness, not enough plays beyond the chains. I think Dave Clausen is severely limited in the type of game that he can coach right now. And I think, if I had to guess, I'm sure that's pretty frustrating for him. Um, you know, Dave Clawson and Ruggiero are guys who like to be aggressive, take shots down the field. Just with with how things are shaking out, you know, across the board right now, that's that's just not really an option. Yeah, it's something interesting that Dave Clawson brought up after the game in, in his post-game interview, talking about what you just said, Ben, in terms of capabilities of the offense. He Use a lot of hand gestures, which you all aren't going to be able to see through our podcast, but I'll, I'll try and paraphrase it. Dave Clawson said that on the far end of the spectrum, the Wake Forest offense with Sam Hartman at quarterback, pretty much limitless options, limitless opportunities. At the back end of the spectrum was what Wake Forest was forced to do with Santino Marucci, a quarterback against Pitt, working with a very limited percentage of the playbook. It was effective at times, but they couldn't really do a lot. And then now they're starting to realize they have Mitch Griffiths right in the middle and that there are more capabilities playbook wise and what they can do with the offense schematically with Mitch Griffiths at quarterback. But he basically admitted Ben that they thought they were going to have Mitch Griffiths up at the Sam Hartman end of the spectrum. And they are now realizing and coming to terms with Mitch Griffiths is not anywhere near that end of the Sam Hartman spectrum. It is Using your hands, just picture me going from far to the right of my head, right in front of my eyes. It is a big difference what they are trying to do with Mitch as opposed to what they could do with Sam in the past few years. And Dave Clawson, after that Florida State loss, admitted that that is the case. Yeah, um, I think we all had a little bit of higher expectations for Mitch Griffiths going into this year. Everything you heard about him coming out of fall camp was he's accurate, he's consistent. He doesn't make bad throws. You know, they, I think they, Dave Clawson cited him as having one of the most accurate camps back in the spring that Wake Forest has, you know, ever seen. So obviously, you know, guys been in the system for four years. You think if there ever was a backup quarterback who was ready for his shot, it was Mitch Griffiths. And early on, you saw some flashes of that against some of Wake Forest's inferior opponents. He made some really good throws against Vanderbilt, against Elon, um, had a really good second half against Old Dominion on the road. But then since then, it's just, 
you know, there was, uh, you were in, you were at the game in person. I was watching on TV. They said something really interesting on the broadcast. They said at times Mitch Griffiths seems to over-prepare. And I do wonder a little bit if that's the case, if he's just too locked into his own head out there, maybe too locked in on how a play is supposed to develop. So then when it kind of goes haywire, you know, he maybe gets some happy feet in the pocket, holds on to the ball too long, has been one of his big problems all year, tries to do a little bit too much. Um, I just, it just doesn't look to me out there like he's playing with any confidence, which is, you know, hard to go out as an ACC quarterback and succeed, especially with the, the caliber of schedule the Wake Forest has to play the back half of the year. Yeah, the tough part was, I think, Ben, that there were so many big expectations, big hopes for Mitch Griffiths that he would fill the sh- big shoes left behind by Sam Hartman immediately. And that hasn't happened, but I think that possibly played a role in just what we've seen out of Mitch Griffiths this year in that, as you said, trying to do a little bit too much, the happy feet, what have you. Mitch Griffiths is trying to make Sam Hartman plays, and they're just really not there right now. In, in, against Florida State, the pass grade for PFF was 41 and a half. One turnover-worthy play, zero big-time throws. I would say a huge positive for Mitch Griffiths was the fact that he did not have a turnover against Florida State. I think that's something you can take home. And I think part of what they're figuring out with the offense, especially what we saw in that third quarter drive, the touchdown, which was one of the better drives we've seen out of Wake Forest this season, is they're finding what's within the capabilities of not only their offense, which I think is limited from a from a holistic standpoint, but also what Mitch Griffiths can do. So I think that's something that they're starting to figure out, something that I said Dave Clawson kind of referenced after the game. And again, the offensive line is just something that is a progressively they're trying to figure it out. I mean, Michael Jurgens had the best pass blocking rate of anybody on the offensive line. That was 64 and a half. Devontae Gordon, 61. Matt Golbin, 57. Luke Pettibone, 48. And then you have Spencer Clapp at 9.7 with four quarterback hurries allowed, five pressures. So Florida State got 13 hurries on the quarterback, 16 pressures. So as much as you can say, well, Mitch Griffiths, you know, 6 of 16, not a good day at the office. It's, and people have been saying it, it's not like we're, you know, saying anything revolutionary here. But, you know, a title of our pod a few weeks ago, it's not just a Mitch Griffiths problem for the Wake Forest offense. It is a complete problem you know, from the, from the linemen to the quarterback, to the wide receivers, to some of the play calling from top to bottom. It's, it's just an issue right now. So I think they're starting to figure out as much as poor as the offense looked at times, I think they're starting to figure some things out that they can do with Mitch Griffiths. And they're figuring out some things they can do with the running backs, getting some of those seams, getting some of those lanes, trying to quicken things up to get it to the wide receivers, because that line isn't going to hold for the deep balls that we saw with Sam Hartman in the past. I think there is some progression from the Wake Forest offense. I think there was some progression from Mitch Griffiths. But again, all of your your warts are going to show up against the number four team in the country like Florida State. They did, but I think this is a developmental process for Wake Forest. So going into the Duke game, Ben, I, you know, I, I started to realize, especially when things were going poorly. And there was no quarterback change. We didn't see Santino Marucci until the game was well in hand late. You know, for all the struggles that have been going on for the Wake Forest offense and for Mitch Griffiths, 
I don't foresee anybody but Mitch Griffith starting at quarterback against Duke. And I I think I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mitch Griffiths, regardless of how things go, continuing to play for the rest of the year. I agree with you, and I think that's the right call. Um, I think that it again, it's a it's a it's a really tough decision to make, right? Because Dave Clawson, we you know, we talked about it after it happened. He opened that can of worms. He went to Santino Marucci. And, you know, now everything, every time that things go a little awry for Mitch Griffiths, the fans are going to call for a change again. Um, but I think that Dave Clawson is probably looking at the, at the big picture here um, and saying, you know, who realistically, like, like we talked about, it's you're limited in what you can call with Santino Marucci under center. Right now with Mitch Griffiths, you're limited in what you can execute but we've seen Mitch Griffiths make some really, really good throws and have some really, you know, solid performances. The talent is there. I, I, I believe the talent is there. I did. I just think you're seeing an inexperienced quarterback having. To be fair, his decision making has been far less than you know what has been desired. It's. Been I also bad. think like, it's been yeah, it's been bad. I mean he. He's not. He's not making competent decisions. He's clearly second guessing himself out there not not leading the offense um you know the the productive drives that wake forest have seem to you know occur despite mitch griffiths rather than because of him which i don't think is a place that dave clausen foresaw this offense being in at this point in the season um i think the other thing too is that like you said any growth that mitch griffiths may have made during that game you know, anybody who was just watching the game didn't really see because Wake got slapped around out there and lost by 25 points. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, other there are other units on this team too that are woefully underperforming. The offensive line had a lot of experienced guys. Michael Jurgens coming back, Devontae Gordon coming back. And those guys are just flat out not getting it done. And that just, that puts your young quarterback not in a position to succeed um, at all. Yeah, Unless, that... yeah every everyone has room to grow but it is it is a holistic problem yeah i mean i think just as disappointing as the quarterback play this season has been the offensive line play i think expectations were probably high for both and they both as you said vastly underperformed but just to tie a ribbon on this mitch griffith's point while i do say you know and i think the people who are saying that santino should start thursday against duke have valid points i think there there is it doesn't seem like there's much of a right answer for the quarterback situation for wake forest right now so i think both sides of the coin have their have their arguments i do think i feel very strongly in confidence level that that dave clausen is going to go with mitch on thursday against duke but what i think is a reality is that while mitch is going to have all the opportunity in the world to, to continue to start going forward. I think in some of these games that are critical to get to where Wake Forest wants to go this season, which is get, to get back to a bowl, to get to their eighth straight bowl game. I do think Mitch is going to have a bit of a shorter leech. Like there wasn't that situation against Florida State. Like that was a loss. Dave Clawson said he knew it was a loss. He said he was already kind of preparing the team for Duke at a certain point in that game. So I can understand why you go with Mitch all the way, try and get that guy going, see what he's got. But in a game like Duke, where 
it could possibly be a close game, has some implications for Wake Forest postseason hopes. If Mitch goes out, makes some poor decisions, is, is just running around the field like a chicken with his head cut off or is throwing interceptions, then I wouldn't be surprised to see Dave Clawson make a move. But at a at a whole, I do think there's some confidence to try and see what Mitch has got from Dave Clawson. But the leash it is not as long as it used to be, if you can kind of understand what I'm saying there. Yeah, totally. I I my guess is that is how it's gonna play out as well. Um, I think I think you have to strike the balance with Mitch Griffiths of saying, listen, like we understand you're a young quarterback and you've been dealt a bad hand with how the rest of the team is playing. That said, we can't let your bad decision making and your poor throws and your turnovers go unchecked. We need to put the team in the best position to win every single week. And if we think the guy behind you on the death chart has a better chance to do that, he's going to he's going to get the snaps. He already went out and showed that in relief of you, he could go out and win a game. So, you know, you you have gotten all the first team reps, you know, all through camp. This was supposed to be your team. Um, if, if we see that you are giving us a chance to win, it will continue to be your team. But on the other hand, you know, two wins shy of a bowl game. That's not unattainable. You know, you're coming into a game against Duke. Duke is struggling a little bit right now. Potentially winnable game, you know, against Florida State. I can understand why there was no quarterback change made and you just wanted to let Mitch sort of play it out. Wake Forest was realistically never going to win that game. unless you know, with anything short of a miracle. But, you know, in a game like this, you know, in the, in the games against Pitt and the games against Duke and, you know, games where you could have a chance to win, it's got to be about putting the best guy out on the field. And, you know, who knows, you know, when the lights turn on, who that's going to be. You know, Mitch, it's possible Mitch goes out and throws a couple early picks or, you know, gets strip sacked and then they go to Santino. I, I do think Mitch will start. I think that Dave Clawson not switching it up when things went haywire against Florida State sort of told that story. But I certainly don't think this means that Mitch is just the guy for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely not. I I was of the belief that Mitch Griffiths was going to be the guy regardless of kind of how he played just because of the long-term effects of these quarterback decisions for Wake Forest. I don't have that belief anymore. I was wrong. San, you know, I didn't think Santino was a factor. I really didn't think Michael Kern was much of a factor either. And that injury is really unfortunate because that would add another option for Wake Forest. But man, it would yeah, also I, make the situation even murkier. I was wrong too. I totally was of the same boat that they would just let Griffiths play through it. But I, yeah, I, I missed on that one for sure. Yeah. So the, the leash is short. Dave Clawson, his goal... He's always he he said to me about after he put Michael Kern into the game at Virginia Tech, I asked him about personnel going forward, and he said, I'm going to play the players I think give us the best shot to win the football game. At that time, that was Michael Kern against Virginia Tech. Because Mitch was injured, it was Santino against Pitt. And I think he's going to think going into the game against Duke that that is Mitch Griffiths. But if something changes, I would not be surprised to see a hook. It'll be interesting to see how that develops later on in the season, especially in the games that Wake Forest will feel like it needs to win to go to a bowl. And I think it's going to be really interesting. This is for a much later discussion, Ben, but I think it's going to be really interesting when you move on to season 2024 and 
who a who are you going to have back at quarterback? You've got a heck of a freshman, Jeremy Hiklinski, coming in as a freshman. Maybe that freshman starter that we saw in Sam Hartman. It's going to add a whole lot of uh, interest. Or do you go portaling? Or do you go portaling? Or do you go portaling? The portal age for a quarterback is not going to be easy, but all the waters are looking pretty muddy right now for Wake Forest. It's going to be, It's this is a long ways into the future, but we're at that point of the season where we're closer to the end of it than we are at the start. And some decisions are going to be ha- have to be made. But at the end of the day, Mitch, I think we'll start against Duke, but don't be surprised if he gets the hook. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we seen eight games. There's enough tape now to this point where, you know, it, it, it doesn't appear that Mitch Griffiths is going to become a Sam Hartman-level quarterback overnight the rest of this season. So it's all up in the air. Ben, now shifting gears to something that came out just before we started filming this podcast, the schedule release for the ACC from 2024 all the way to 2030, three additions to the Atlantic Coast Conference, Atlantic Coast no more, uh, starting in 2024 in Cal, Stanford, SMU. So had to completely rework the schedule going forward for the conference. Wake has two protected rivalry games they'll play annually in Duke and NC State. And then Georgia Tech five times, Virginia four, North Carolina four, SMU three, Stanford three, Virginia Tech three, Cal three, Clemson three, Florida State three, Miami three, Boston College two, Louisville two, Pitt two, Syracuse two. Now, interesting 2024 home schedule for Wake Forest. Pretty interesting 2024 schedule altogether. You're going to get two of the new ACC teams right off the bat. You have Cal at home. And then Wake Forest is going to Stanford next year. And SMU comes to Winston-Salem in 2025. Been a really interesting new scheduling for the ACC. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think there's going to be some growing pains for this new format for sure. I just speaking generally, I really like the two protected rivalries that Wake has. I would be super bummed if they didn't have a protected rivalry against NC State. It's good that they have one against Duke. It's good that they'll still get to play Carolina um, you know, four times through 2030. I think that's I think that's all good for for keeping those North Carolina game rivalries, you know, alive and well. I think that's important. For next year though, I kind of like that Wake is getting to jump right into it with, you know, you get to go fly out west and play Stanford. That is going to be something revolutionary and completely new for the program. That's a lot of fun. Um, Obviously not sure how, you know, how quality of opponent Stanford will be be next year. That all remains to be seen, of course, but you know, with, with Cal coming to town and Stanford on the road, and then you get to go to Dallas to play SMU in 2025. It's uh, the new ACC has arrived and it's going to be, um, it's, it's going to create some, you know, some more drama on the weekends. It's going to create potentially some new rivalries down the road. You know, who knows, you know, Wake Forest Cal could become an instant classic. You never know with these things. Um, other than that, just speaking about Wake's schedule generally, um, some tough, it's, you know, beneficial to Wake Forest that Clemson, you know, Clemson at home obviously is, is a big one. Getting to play Duke at home, always nice away at Miami, going to be a very tough one away at UNC and NC state pretty brutal there. Um, Those are both very hostile road environments. So, you know, Wake's going to have a challenging schedule again next year. And they kind of got kind of get an even mix of, 
beneficial home games and then away games that are, that they're they're really going to be hard pressed um to you know to pull away a win in but i think it's i think it's a challenging schedule you know depending on how the team rebuilds this year i think there are opportunities to pick up some you know marquee program wins and then you know some some opportunities to see what this new conference looks like yeah without a ba- doubt ben so one note, so SMU will be coming to Winston-Salem in 2025, oh, Sorry, but they won't have to wait too long to go to Dallas. They'll go in 26. So Sorry, I misread that. Have, yeah, you're right. Not going to have to wait too long to go to Dallas for Wake Forest. As you said, those 2024 home games, it's going to be a really interesting schedule for Wake Forest because not only do you have those ACC games, Cal, Clemson, Duke, UVA, you're also going to have games with Ole Miss, UConn as well both two very interesting out of conference games for Wake Forest in 2024 but I'll tell you before we move on I've got my eye on the 2026 year for Wake Forest that would be just a theory but Jeremy Hicklinski's junior year at Wake Forest those games in the ACC Duke Miami Stanford Virginia Cal Georgia Tech NC State SMU might be an interesting year to keep your eye on for Wake Forest. 2026 seems like a million years away, but, and teams change also. I mean, Duke has changed overnight. You know, SMU is a good team. Virginia looks like they're getting to be better. I could look like a fool in three years if all those teams are now, or become just fantastic teams. With that being said, got that that year circled for the future that that might be an interesting year for the wake forest team and deacons if all things end up working out yeah and you know you bring up jeremy hicklinski we we spoke with jeremy back in the day um did a brief phone interview with him back in our deacons daily days that's a confident kid right there that is a kid who wants to come in and make an impact he if i'm remembering this correctly he told us that he wanted to challenge sam all of sam hartman's records and you know that's a kid who's ready to come in and make an impact. It was a very enjoyable conversation, I remember. Um, but yeah, that that kid's got kid's got a ton of talent. I I think the system he played in in high school could really lend itself well to Wake Forest. But yeah, you know, with, with all of these you know these numbers coming out, you do got to start to think about the big picture and you know see how see sort of project where teams are going to be. It's hard to do, obviously, but obviously you know a lot of things to be excited about. You know, through the through the twenty twenty thirty season at this point. Yeah, Ben. So I'm, this has been, it's been quite some time since I've made this trip, but I'm, I went back to the Deacons daily site, went back to our interview article with Jeremy Hiklinski. The final quote of that story. I want to be one of the best quarterbacks to ever go through there. Sam's setting all these records. I want to break them. There's no doubt in my mind that I will. So confident guy, Jeremy Hiklinski. It's going to be interesting next year. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, at the time, gosh, Jeremy Eklinski, I think, was 16 years old, something like that, and that level of confidence. Sam was a confident guy, too, a little bit more quiet confidence. But seeing some similar things out of both of them, that's going to be exciting. We won't get too deep onto the Jeremy Hiklinski lore midway through 2023. That'll be for a little bit further down the road. But interesting, I think the the scheduling, people seem to be happy with what's come out from the ACC. Those protected rivalry games are great. Wake Forest having Duke and NC State is great. I think that they've managed well the, the trips going out to the West Coast. All in all, I'm, I'm really excited for Wake Forest 
to to go play teams like Cal, Stanford, SMU consistently. I think it was a good way to save the conference. I think the implications of what is happening to the ACC and all these other conferences are incredibly bad for the state of college football, but I'm not going to go into all that. But overall, new schedule, I think, has been well done by the ACC. I think they handled well a very complicated situation. So now, with all that being said, let's go ahead and turn to something that's a little bit more right ahead of us. Let's put it that way, a little more timely. Duke coming up, it's a Thursday kick. Dave Clawson said after the game on Saturday, he hates Thursday kicks, especially when it's a Thursday kick in November. Then I get that. I come from this from both sides because having a short week this late into the season is horrible for football teams. It, it's it's just wrong in my book, injury wise, getting you know recovered from previous games. Wake Forest having to play a really good team in Florida State, Duke having to play a really good team in Louisville. And then, hey, guys, let's go on a short week and go play each other on a Thursday, all so that this game can be broadcast nationally on television on a Thursday night. A, I I mean, I think it's good for Wake Forest that they're getting some some more national coverage on ESPN against Duke. But the whole turnaround thing, I'm with Dave Clawson on this one. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean – Obviously, like you said, always good to get your guys some national spotlight. You know, if you've got got a chance to go out and, you know, play under the bright lights, night game. Um, Duke is struggling right now, potentially an opportunity to go out there and compete. But it is interesting to me because the Thursday kick giveth and the Thursday kick taketh away for Dave Clawson because he loves his Thursday night home openers. Obviously, that's a much different setup. Um, you know, you're there's no there's no short week obviously before the Thursday night opener because there's been the whole offseason and then you get an extra couple days to prepare for the next game afterwards but yeah certainly right now you're in a brutal stretch of the schedule you just played you know a pretty demoralizing game against Florida State um Duke also played a pretty demoralizing game against Louisville we'll get to that but you got to go turn around and, and put your game face right back on it's a Tough situation to be in, um, especially for Wake Forest being on the road. There's really, you know, you got to go play in a hostile environment and get your guys up after, you know, losing a game by by 25 points. Not going to be easy for sure, although I do think um, I do think this is a game Wake Forest can go out and compete in. Yeah, and I've definitely got some thoughts on that a little bit later, but going ahead, looking to the Duke Blue Devils, earlier this year they looked like one of the – the shining stars of not only the ACC, but of all of college football, Mike Elko in his second year has just done a fantastic job with that team. He did a great job last year as well, but really put together a, a solid team this year. But just with all the Riley Leonard injuries, some of that other stuff, it, it's fallen off a little bit. And, and this past weekend against Louisville, it was not good. A 23, nothing loss. So no points for that Duke blue double offense, seven punts, barely over 200 yards of offense, got absolutely nothing going, very few completed passes, very few yards on the ground. It was just a train wreck. Yeah, Riley Leonard is clearly not back to 100%. Um, dealt with a, you know, got injured, injured his ankle pretty badly against Notre Dame. Could have been, could have been a lot worse, um, but clearly, you know, watching him play, this is not the Riley Leonard that was out there at the beginning of the year when Duke was really making some noise around college football. Nine for 23, 121 yards and interception QBR of 32.4. 
and the offense put up zero points. So, you know, not going to get it done for Duke. I do think um, Riley Leonard will come out and be in a place to be more effective this week. Um, the, you know, the dichotomy of this is that Louisville also just ran all over Duke. 234 yards on the ground, two rushing touchdowns. You know, Louisville's Jack Plummer for Louisville didn't have to be, you know, didn't play an all-world game, just 11 for 16, 117 yards, but didn't need to do too much because Jawar Jordan went out and had 21 carries, 163 yards, and two touchdowns. So, you know, that is that is Duke defense got steamrolled in a way that we really haven't seen so far this year under Mike Elko. Mike Elko, I think, is a fantastic coach, and I think he's the right guy to sort of lead this Duke program back to relevance in football in the ACC, and he has done a fantastic job. It's just been kind of dealt a tough hand this year with injuries and you know, adjusting to adjusting to your your guy, your quarterback going down is always a tough one, but really sets up an intriguing matchup for Wake Forest. Yeah, I mean, I think Duke is already relevant again. I I think with some if some of these things hadn't gone wrong, especially with Riley Leonard, the teams going to Charlotte in November are Florida State and Duke, and it's still possible for Duke, but the road has gotten a lot tougher. On the point of Riley Leonard, as we said, working back from an injury, the Thursday game certainly taketh. With that, you know, got way less time to get that injury better. We'll see how he looks. He he might not be 100%, but again, Riley Leonard's a very good quarterback. So he, with his skills, maybe not 100%, might still see some productive work from Riley Leonard. Duke has a solid running back tandem in Jordan Waters and Jacquez, Jacquez Moore. Uh, but for me, the, the wide receivers are something that f- from a Duke perspective, a lot to be excited about Jordan Moore. He was a quarterback in high school, actually at the conference. I went to high school in, in Baltimore, Maryland, watched him play a quarterback for Loyola Blakefield. He was really good Asked to transition to wide receiver at Duke. And he's been just as good, if not better leads the team in receptions and touchdowns, just three touchdowns. though. Uh, Duke, not a very big receiving touchdown team. Uh, and then Jalen Calhoun, was the thorn in Wake's side last year, if you remember, that completely turned the game on its head. Just, I, if I recall, that late touchdown that c- kind of came out of nowhere that put Duke over top for good was Jalen Calhoun. So that wide receiver core is really good if they can get the ball to him. The running backs are productive as well, and Riley Leonard is to be seen, but at his best, at, at 100% injury-wise, he's a very, very good quarterback, one of the best in the ACC. I was really, obviously, you never like to see a guy, um, you know, go down with any injury. I was super bummed to see him go down against Notre Dame, um, especially on the last, essentially the last play of the game, you know, where the game may or may not have already been decided. Always really hard to see. I like Riley Leonard's game a lot. And to the point of the receivers, I always think a good gauge of, you know, how strong a wide receiver really is, is can you find a way to be effective even when the offense as a whole is struggling? You know, against Louisville, Duke didn't put up any points, but Jordan Moore still had six catches for 92 yards. I mean, found a way to get open, be effective, busted off a 47-yarder, even with a quarterback not at 100%. Um, so, yeah, you know, Duke Duke has some weapons. They, at their best, when Riley Leonard is doing his thing, they, they're they really good at the skill. They're, they're, they're really good. Um, Riley Leonard can do, do it with his legs. He can do it with his arm. They're a tough offense to prepare for when all is going well. Unfortunately, they've just the injury bug has has bitten them in in a couple places this season that has been hard for them to come back from. And I think you know 
I think that the, the, the Thursday kick this week isn't really doing anybody any favors on, on either side, as we could have predicted. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Duke offense, not a lot of points per game. Some of that is affected by the whole Riley Leonard situation. 26 points per game. The opponents have scored 15 points per game. Notable, Ben. Duke has 180 yards on per game on the ground, more yards on the ground than passing per game, only allowed nine sacks this year. So the offensive line is solid as well on defense. Some really good linebackers patrolling the middle of the field, some good TFL and sack stats from Aeneas Peebles, a a defensive tackle, good cornerback and miles Jones, two picks and and a defensive tackle and RJ Oban that gets to the quarterback really well. So the stats speak them for themselves. The defense is good. The offense has fallen off partially because of their quarterback situation. You know, I think it's going to create an interesting game for wake forest. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but, but it is going to be, I think a little bit of a defensive battle here, Ben. I would agree. You know, you're Mike Elko is obviously a defensive minded coach and a very good one at that. Um, and he's had to, you know, rely on his defense pretty heavily with a banged up quarterback and ha- having to go to the backup a couple of times and for Wake Forest. Offense looks pretty two dimensional, not a ton of, you know, explosive plays. You saw a long run against Florida State and a, a productive driver too. but by and large, it's been defense keeping them in the game by winning the field position battle, forcing punts, you know, doing whatever you can. So I agree. I think this one is going to be low scoring for Wake. I think the worry is, you know, Mike Elko is so good at scheming and, you know, putting putting his defense in a, in a place to really be effective. And the, the weaknesses for the Wake Forest offense are not hiding. Uh, you know, in plain sight, you mentioned the offensive line really struggled last week in PFF, not grading well not holding up consistently in protection. So the worry is, you know, will Duke be able to just blitz them all night long and be effective? I think that's certainly a possibility, Um, but I agree. I think this one's going to be a dogfight. And one last thing before we get into our keys to the game and predictions, we're saying it every week, but at this point with the way Wake Forest is as a team this year, a lofty goal, an attainable one, but a lofty goal is to get to a bowl game. I think that would where Wake Forest is right now would be considered a success. Looking at, you know, the beginning of the season, I thought Wake Forest was going to be six and six and get to a bowl. That is still ahead of them. And one note, I mean, we've, I've always said, and I think we've both always said this, that it's got to be NC State and Syracuse. You got to win those games to get to six, to get to a bowl. Wake Forest currently at four. I think the way this game lines up and the way you said Thursday taketh, Thursday giveth, I think Wake Forest might have something here brewing in Durham on Thursday night, just with the Riley Leonard situation, how Duke played against Louisville. I think we saw some incremental growth over the past two weeks from Wake Forest. I think these are two teams that are in tough positions in their own ways, and that's just going to come together and combine into a very, very close game. And it, it, it might come down to just a little bit. So I'm not saying Wake is necessarily going to go out there and win big time, but I think this game is going to be close enough because of all the different factors into the game that it it might be highly contested and a close one similar to what we saw last year between Duke and Wake Forest. Yeah, I would agree. I, I remember we were talking about, you know, bull predictions sort of early on in the year 
and when Wake first really started to struggle and Duke was still really shining. And I thought that there was no shot Wake could compete in this game. I agree. I think this game right now is much more winnable than I thought it was a month ago, for example. I think that, you know, I do think it's going to be a very hard game for Wake to get over the top on just because of how good of a defensive coach Mike Elko is. And I don't think either team is really going to be able to gain separation just because of how the offenses have sort of been struggling. I do agree with you that Wake has shown a little bit of incremental growth in some places on offense, though. You know, you had Justice Ellison play a pretty effective game last week. You've you found a little success on the ground. You know, Mitch Griffiths didn't turn the ball over against a very good Florida State defense. Those are little moral victories. Obviously, they didn't show up on the scoreboard, and, you know, you might not look for them in the stat sheet because Wake got blown out, but... And, you know, people forget Wake won a game against Pitt just, you know, two weeks ago. So it's possible that Wake could come out and, you know, be effective in this game. I don't I don't think there's going to be many fireworks in this one is is my prediction. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into our keys to the game and, and score predictions in, in just a second here. But, um, yeah, I think... I think Duke is vulnerable. I think that showed against Louisville to not even not be able to record a single point is, you know, a sign that they're in kind of a tough spot right now. And they're facing the same problem that Wake Forest has, where they might be facing, whether it's injuries, whether it's scheme, facing some problems that don't necessarily have easy answers and don't have a ton of time to address them either. Ben, you mentioned keys to the game. Let's go ahead and get right into it. This time, I'll let you go ahead and start. Sure. So my my key to the game is something that has been very frustrating, I think, to watch about the Wake Forest offense this year is that they have these speedsters on the outside. They have these big, strong physical receivers, whether that's Jamal Banks, whether that's Keyshawn Williams. And they just really struggle to get them the ball um, in places where they can make a play. So, you know, for Mitch Griffiths, my key is just find a way to make complete easy throws early. Get the ball to Keyshawn Williams in space, you know, find Jamal Banks over the middle, run some crossers, you know, get get your playmakers, deliver a few confident throws early, get your playmakers the ball in space, and then just let it go from there. Because that when Wake Forest's offense is is good, that's really the beauty of it, is that it just it looks so seamless and it flows so smoothly. And there's just it's just been inconsistent. It's been stop and start, two step, you know, one step forward, two steps back all year long. So I think just, you know, first possession you get, even if it's not points, get a few first downs, make some, th- make some easy throws past the sticks, find a way to get your, you know, really strong skill guys touches to get both the quarterback some confidence and your skill guys some confidence. Maybe get Wesley Grimes a couple easy throws early. It's got to be hard for the, these Wake receivers to stay confident. And, you know, for these skill players to stay confident when the offense just a lot of the times isn't working anywhere. Yeah, so I'll get into that as my second one. I've kind of got a a similar thought wave with you on your key to the game. My first one is going to be directed towards the defense. Know your worth. So in past years, the Wake Forest defense has been something that you you know, hide. It has not been the more productive side of the ball for the Deacons for a long time. And the offense has been the one to shine this year. Not the case. Know your worth for this team. Know that it's going to fall likely on your shoulders to bear down when the going gets tough. And when this game stays close, it is going to be your job to get the team over the finish line more likely than not. 
It is, I think it is going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. The Wake Forest defense needs to be the one to go win this game if it's there to be won. So that's my first key to the game. My second is similar, as I said, to what you were talking about earlier, Ben. It's directed at a lot of people. So first to Dave Clawson and to Warren Ruggiero. You know, Dave talked about after the Florida State game that they can't keep trying to run a Wake Forest offense like Sam Hartman is still your quarterback. Stand by that statement with what you're doing on offense. That's partially, Dave, a lot on the play calling of Warren Ruggiero and the playbook. Try and limit mistakes. Don't put Mitch Griffiths into situations where mistakes are easier to be made and do what works. So ride the run game. The run game has at times been very good. Ride the hot hand in Justice Ellison and Damon Claiborne and give your quarterback opportunities to succeed. Give him those short routes. Like you were saying, Ben, get Wesley Grimes involved, get Jamal Banks involved on those comebacks, utilize Taylor Moore and get uh, Keyshawn Williams on the crossers. It seems like Wake Forest just over and over again with Mitch Griffiths wants to sometimes do that slow mesh and have him walk up to the line. And they're trying to run a lot of plays that they ran with Sam Hartman that worked to a T last year. They're not working for Mitch Griffiths. So figure out, identify, and I think Wake Forest is doing this. They they showed it in that third quarter drive against Florida State, but figure out what is working for Mitch Griffiths. If you want to win games going forward, you can't put yourself into situations that are allowing your quarterback to be a detriment to your ability to win the football game. You've got to find ways to elevate your quarterback, even when things aren't going well, and find ways to help him help you win. So defense, know your worth. Offense, limit mistakes, and do, do the thing the right thing. Like do the things that work for your offense. So those are my two keys for the game. I think this is a winnable game for Wake Forest, but they are going to have to do things right in order to get it. This is not a game that they are going to accidentally fall into. They've got to fall, you know, whatever keys they are, maybe not ours, but whatever theirs are, they've got to achieve those keys to beat Duke on Thursday. So let's go ahead, get into it. Predictions. Again, Ben, I'll let you go ahead first. Yeah, you know, we've talked about how this is a winnable game for Wake Forest. I agree it's a winnable game. I just don't think they'll win. Um, I think they've just been so average to below average to way below average on the road this year. Um, and I think that on a short week, I and with how good Mike Elko is defensively in exposing your weaknesses and taking advantage of them all game long, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I don't think Duke is, I don't think either team is going to, like I said, put up a ton of points. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I got Duke 17-10. I'm with you, Ben, on the low scoring aspect of this game. I'm going to stand by my words on this one. I think Wake Forest does have something here. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 80% sure. You know, probably about 50% sure. Who knows? I can't really tie a number to it. I work more in letters, not numbers. But I think Wake Forest has something here. A lot of it depends on Riley Leonard. Short week, I think his health is in question. What we saw against Louisville was an offense in complete and utter disarray. What we've seen a lot from Wake Forest is an offense in complete and utter disarray. And then two good defenses. So I think low scoring but I would really, really like for Wake Forest to see 
a really solid defensive performance out of them. And I think some of this incremental growth from the offense is possible. If Wake Forest can call the right game, if they can execute certain plays on offense, it doesn't have to be the big plays, but it's just got to be a little bit. It's got to be enough. You can't punt on three quarters of the drives that you're playing in a football game. Get yourself in a situation where you can kick some field goals with Matthew Dennis. Make stops on defense. I think if Wake Forest can get that done, then I think that there's a possibility they get themselves out of Durham with a win, a big win for the complexion of their season. So I'm going to go low scoring 13 to 10 Wake Forest gets a win out of the Duke Blue Devils in a highly contested low scoring game. That'll be all for us here on the Boots on the Ground pod. Short week, Wake Forest will travel to Durham, North Carolina to play the Duke Blue Devils on national television Thursday night. Alongside Ben Conroy, I've been Essex there. We'll see you later this week for basketball on the Boots on the Ground pod.